My name is Michael. I serve as one of the pastors here and just super thankful that you've taken time uh, in your Sunday uh, just to be with us. And I hope these moments that we've already had together and the time that you've already been in the space uh, that you've just been encouraged. I don't know if you've ever had to give a message publicly, uh, whether that was maybe a presentation at work or maybe a presentation that you needed to make in school, but if you've ever had to do something publicly where you're going to get up and say something, give a talk, give a message, uh, one or two things might happen. Uh, If you've ever done that, uh, in the preparation stage, uh, sometimes preparation is pretty easy. Uh, you're like, I know exactly what I want to say. I know how, how I want to say it. And it just kind of flows very naturally. Well, there's another side that sometimes if you give messages and work in, in school type of thing, that you have an idea of what you want to talk about, but gosh, putting your thoughts together is just really difficult. You might not be able to articulate why, but it is just hard putting two thoughts together that actually make a coherent uh, thought. For me, this past week, and thinking through, praying through, preparing this message, it was very much so the latter. I had a really, really, really difficult time, more so than normal and usual, in putting uh, this message together this morning. And as I've been really wrestling with Gosh, why did I have such a hard time? I would sit with my Bible, I'd sit with my journal open, I'd sit in front of a a computer screen and just trying to type out, gosh, I can't even make sense of what's going on in my head and my heart. And so as I was wrestling with why was it so difficult, uh, the little note that I wrote in the side of my journal was this, I believe God to be big, but I live so small. I believe God to be big, but I live so small. If you were to ask me to describe God to you, I would say God is bigger. God is, he is just bigger. And I would say that with supreme confidence that God is bigger, but yet when I just take a look at my life and how I'm living, I get knocked over by some of the smallest and some of just the silliest things. And I think why I was having such a difficult time putting this message together is because I realized that There's a disconnect in what I say and what I believe about God to be so big. But yet I look at my life and I'm like, gosh, but you live so small. And when I'm talking about living small, I'll give you a couple examples. When I have opportunity to talk about God, to share my faith with maybe a friend or a family member that just doesn't know who God is, I don't know what happens like in here, but it gets, it wants to come out. I just get so nervous and I just get scared talking to people about God. My past, when I think about things that happened in my past, things that I'd done, when that seems to come into my present, it just seems so powerful and so ginormous to me that it can be paralyzing. When I get criticized by maybe someone for something I did or something I said, something happens in me where I just crumble inside. I feel like I try to put on, you know, an exterior face of like, I can take that, I can handle that, but something on my inside just crumbles. When I get hurt by someone, whether maybe something they said to me or something that they did to me, again, I have this external look and appearance, but inside there's just something in me that just wants to hurt back, something that just wants to defend myself. When Maybe there's a situation or circumstance regarding the future, and it's just kind of unclear of how's this going to work, and how's this going to happen, and what it's going to look like. I just get filled with an anxiety and a fear of just 
man, I just don't know what to do about that. When temptation comes and whatever that temptation might be, I can't even articulate to you in words of how intense the struggle uh, can often be. Now, this list could be much longer, but my point is that there just seems to be a really big disconnect for me in how I say that God is so, so big. But if you just looked at my life every day, you'd be like, Michael, you live really small. As I was thinking about if there was someone who were just to maybe follow me for just a week and kind of watch and observe, I think some of the observations that they might make is, Michael, it just seems like people's approval or affirmation is actually bigger to you. It seems like, Michael, your past is still really big in your life. Michael, it would seem that people's opinions of you are really what's bigger, Or Michael, it would seem that the unknowns that you have in your life, meaning unknowns about what's going to happen in the days, weeks, months, years to come, those seem to be much, much bigger. Michael, the temptations, gosh, those seem to be pretty big, maybe bigger. I don't know how they'd articulate all of this, but I'm thinking the person watching me for a week would ask me the question, Michael, are you sure? Like, are you really sure that God is bigger? Now, if someone were to ask you the same similar question, when you think about God, how big do you actually believe God to be? Like, how big do you believe God to actually be in your life? Is he bigger than your past? When you think about God and his bigness, is God bigger than your disappointments? Is he bigger than your addictions? Is he bigger than your hurts? Is he bigger than your future? Is he bigger than your temptations? Is he bigger than those situations that just seem to be out of control in your life? Is he bigger than those broken relationships? Whether it's with a spouse or a family member or a friend, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, is he bigger than those relationships? The things that might cause great disappointment, discouragement, hopelessness in your life? Is God actually bigger than those things? The question is just how big do you actually believe God to be? I love reading the scriptures and how the scriptures uh, articulate how big God actually is and how the authors of scripture seek to describe the bigness of God. King David wrote this in Psalm uh, chapter 8. He says this when he's thinking about the bigness of God. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, when I consider the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place. Now, I don't know when you consider the work of your fingers, but the work of my fingers never really got much beyond Plato. And yet the psalmist, when he's trying to even put words to articulate how big God is, he was like, it was your fingers that you set the stars in place, much like you and I might decorate a Christmas tree and we take an ornament and we strategically hang it on the tree where we want it to be. This is what the psalmist is saying. Your hand, your fingers took each star and set them in place. I love how it talks about in Isaiah, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all of the stars, he brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by name, calling each by name. Because of his great power, incomparable strength, 
Not a single one is missing. He calls them each by name. Not one is missing. Now, to put that maybe in perspective, uh, as what scientists, astronomers would tell us, uh, currently there's roughly 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe. The number of stars in each galaxy, remember there's 10 billion plus galaxies, the number of stars varies, but they estimate roughly 100 billion stars per galaxy, which means that there is roughly one septillion stars. That is a one with 24 zeros behind it. That's how many stars in the observable universe. And that's just what we can see with our limited micro, uh, uh, telescopes that we have. The psalmist describes how big, how vast God is. But here's the amazing thing. God is not just bigger on a macro level when we're talking about creation and universe and galaxies and stars. The King David, the psalmist, actually talks about not God just in macro ways, but in micro ways as well. I love reading Psalm 39 because it reminds me not just how big God is in the big things, but how big God is in the small things. He says this in one, Psalm 139, O Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down and stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home, you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. And then verse 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship or craftsmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life is recorded in your book. Every moment, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Scripture talks about the bigness of God at a macro level, but then also at a micro level. And I know for me, when I even hear someone trying to articulate the bigness of God, the question that I ask myself at least is, why would such a big God care about small me? Why would such a big God care about small me? And I don't know if you've thought that question before, but if you have, you're in really good company because the authors of Scripture, when talking about the bigness of God, were overwhelmed with that same question. David in Psalm 8 says this, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care about them. How could you not look at how big God is at a macro and then micro level and wonder, God, why do you care about us, human beings, that you should care for them? See, I think the greater your understanding and awareness of the bigness of God at a macro level, at a micro level, it will lead you to wonder this question, God, why would you care about small me? But this is what scripture teaches us over and over. The bigness of God does not actually diminish his care or his concern for us. It only seeks to amplify how much this big God cares for us because he has something that he wants to give to each of us. And again, reading the same passage I did in Isaiah a moment ago, it says this, have you never heard? 
Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak uh, or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. And I want you to listen to this. He gives power. This big God gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Because we're weak, because we're powerless, meaning because we're small, God gives us his power and his strength. And so I was reading that verse this past week, and the question that just comes to my mind is, if God gives power to the weak, and if God gives strength to the powerless, then are we missing something? Like, are you and I missing something? Because if that's true, that God gives power to the weak and gives strength to the powerless, then why are not more Christians walking around with strength and power that comes from God? When I say Christians, I just mean men and women who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. If it's true that he does give power, strength, then are we somehow missing something that there are not more men and women walking around with strength and with power that comes from this big, big God. And I wonder if maybe the disconnect that I felt this week and maybe the disconnect that you feel is that we're actually trying to be powerful on our own. I think the disconnect, I can just speak for me personally, comes from maybe I'm not walking in and seeing and experiencing an encounter the strength and power that comes from God because I'm trying to be strong and powerful on my own. And what that sounds like is the person that just simply says, maybe not out loud, but says to themselves, I can do this. I've got this. I can handle this. I can take care of this. I need to be strong here. I need to be power here. I know we live in a culture that promotes power uh, as a sign or badge of honor, how strong you are, how powerful you are. But I know for me, what I'm learning this week afresh is the disconnect I feel is that I'm actually trying to be strong on my own, trying to be powerful on my own. And I, I can't even think of a time where I verbalized it like that, but I know my thoughts are, I can do this, I've got this, I can handle it. Do you find yourself saying that or maybe thinking that? Can you look back to the past week where you just thought to yourself, I need to be strong here. I can handle this. I can take care of this. I can manage this. I can get through this. I just need to push through. One of the things that uh, I love about scripture is how it reminds us uh, of just the truth of what God actually has for us. It says in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul, uh, Apostle Paul says this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. What we need, what I need, is grace because the power of God works best in weakness. So the disconnect largely comes from when we're trying to be strong, handle it, manage it, get through it, we're missing the power strength that comes from God because we're trying to do it. But scripture says, my power works best in weakness. Everything in scripture points to this reality that God meets our smallness with his bigness and God meets our weakness with his strength. That's just the message from beginning to end. God meets our smallness with his bigness and he meets our weakness with his strength. 
See, God doesn't, he, he does that because he wants to, us to experience in all things at all times, in all circumstances, in all situation, his strength and his power at work in and through our lives. So again, I repeat this question. If God gives his strength and his power, then why do we get knocked over so easily? Because if that's true, that his strength shows up, works best in our weakness, why do we get knocked over so often, so quickly, so easily? Why do we get so worried over what others are going to think and say? Why do we get knocked over paralyzed by people's opinions? Why do we get knocked over with anxieties over what might happen tomorrow? What might happen next week, next month? Why do we get knocked over with anger because someone we don't even know did something to us that we just don't like? I know this might seem like a silly example, but why do we get so angry in traffic over someone we don't even know did something to us that we don't like? Why do we get tipped over so quickly Why do we get so frustrated when we are misunderstood or maybe misrepresented? Why do we get tripped up by the same sins that you've been tripped up over and over since maybe you were a teenager or a a young adult? Why do we get so defeated when things just don't go our way? When the script that we had is not playing out like we wanted it to, why do we get so defeated, so knocked over when things just don't go our way? Where's the power and the strength that comes from knowing a God who's actually bigger? I think the Apostle Paul, if you're familiar with the New Testament, he wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament. And I know for me, when I think of the Apostle Paul, I immediately think of, man, that guy had strength. That guy had power. He had just confidence. He lived at a different level. When I think about Paul, that's what I think about. But what I love about Paul is his confidence, his strength, and his power didn't come from something from within himself that he just mustered up this courage and this boldness. He actually specifically had to pray, God, I don't want there to be a disconnect in my life between how big you are, but how small I'm living. And he says this in Philippians chapter 3, one of the letters that he wrote, This is his confession slash prayer. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That was his confession and that was his prayer. I want to know Jesus. I want to know who he is. And I don't just want to stop there with knowing something factually I want to actually experience and I want, to encou- I want a, that mighty power that actually brought Jesus back to life. I want to experience that and not just once in my life so I can be like, wow, that was amazing. Paul's prayer is I want to experience this mighty power that raised him from the dead. Now, I don't know if that resonates with you, but I'll ask, is there anything in that one verse you're like, I want that too. I just want to know Jesus. Because I know a lot of other things and that's just not enough. I want to know Jesus and I want to experience his power, mighty strength. Because I get tipped over quickly. I get knocked off, knocked over quickly. When Paul is saying what he's asking for is to operate not in his strength, which clearly is limited, 
But what he's asking for in this moment is to operate out of the power and the strength in his life that actually raised Jesus back from the dead. I love, though, that Paul didn't just pray that for himself. I love that in a different letter that Paul wrote, he actually prayed that for you and I. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart, he's talking to a church in Ephesus, may be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power, uh, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised uh, Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. His prayer is, I pray, God, that their eyes would be open to this incredible reality, this incomparably great power and strength for those who believe. Paul prays that we would not be blind to the amazing, incomparably great power and strength that's available if you believe. And I love that it's not a list of give your strength power to those who are really killing it in their faith. Those who are doing a lot of good things. God, open the eyes of the hearts of those who believe in Jesus, that they might encounter experience afresh every moment of every day, your incomparably great strength and power. This coming week, uh, my son is going on a trip. Uh, My oldest son, Tristan, uh, his grandparents, my wife's parents, started a brand new tradition. And the tradition is that when they're about to enter high school, uh, they want to take them, uh, take him on in a grandparent adventure. And so the adventure they're taking my uh, oldest son, Tristan, on uh, is they're taking him to the Grand Canyon this week. Uh, he's going to see some other uh, national parks along the way, but they wanted him to see the Grand Canyon. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the Grand Canyon. I've seen the Grand Canyon a few times. It is awe-inspiring. It is just so big, so massive, so amazing. Uh, I'm excited for him to have this adventure with his grandparents and for his eyes just to be open to a snapshot of just the bigness of God. But imagine if upon arriving at the Grand Canyon, Tristan had a blindfold on and he refused to take it off. And if he shows up and his grandparents are like, Tristan, take the blindfold off. Imagine if Tristan's response was, you know what? I've heard stories about the Grand Canyon. There's no need for me to actually see it. There's no need for me to actually experience it for myself because I read about it. I read about it. I don't actually need to see it. I'm pretty sure his grandparents and I think everyone in this room would say, Tristan, dude, you're missing it. Man, take the blindfold off. See with your own eyes. Experience and encounter the greatness and the bigness of what God has created. We would be encouraging him, yelling at him, take the blindfold off. And I wonder, as I was thinking about that example, how many of us are simply living with a blindfold on? We've heard rumors. We've even heard stories of God's power and his strength for those who believe. But yet we haven't seen it with our own eyes, simply because we just have the blindfold on and we've refused to take it off. I want to finish this morning with just sharing uh, one more story of another young man that we meet in the Old Testament who had a blindfold on. Not a literal blindfold, but metaphorical blindfold on. 
And the older man in his life, uh, his name was Elisha. And Elisha was known as a prophet of God, a man who walked with God. And the story that I want to read to you is a story of uh, how Elisha had so angered another king because this king of Aram was trying to attack the nation of Israel. And every time this king would try to attack the nation of Israel, Elisha would do something to get in the way of this attack actually happening. And so in the story that we have this morning is the king of Aram just says, forget attacking Israel. I'm just going to attack Elisha. I'm going to take my entire army, and instead of going after thousands and thousands and thousands of people, I'm going to focus all of my attention on this one man who continues to get in my way. And so this story is told in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha, uh, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. It's a great question, isn't it? The servant walks out and he opens his eyes and what he sees is a great army that had surrounded the city. That's what he can see. And so he cries out to Elisha, what will we do now? If you were just to look back over the past eight days in the month of July, how many times have you already asked or thought that question, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now with this relationship, with this work situation, with this circumstance, with this family, with this financial thing? How many times have you just said, what am I going to do now? I think what often precipitates this question is something difficult, something challenging, something overwhelming. See, it's not a bad question, but what I've learned about this one question is this. Before we see his power, we must get to the end of ours. Before we actually get to see, experience, encounter His strength, His power at work in through our lives, we got to get to the end of ours. We got to get to that point where we say, what am I going to do now? I can't do anything. I'm not strong enough. I'm not big enough. I can't do this. But we simply pray that but finish by saying, but God, you are. I don't know what to do, but God, you do. You're bigger than this. I realize that in a room this size, there might be people here in that place today. You're overwhelmed with a situation or circumstance where you find yourself just saying, I have no idea what I will do now. And I'm not trying to be prophetic by any means but there might be some of you who are going to encounter that this week where you will be left in whatever the situation, circumstance, relationship saying, I have no idea what to do. What will I do now? It's not an easy place to be, but asking the question, what will I do is actually the right question to be asking because God wants us to see something that our circumstance has actually blinded us to. 
So when confronted with this question, what will we do now? Elisha, I love it. He doesn't even answer the question. He doesn't even answer the question. Rather, what Elisha does for his young servant is he simply tells his servant what he sees. It says in 2 Kings 6, verse 16, don't be afraid. Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. He didn't answer the question. He just said, man, don't be afraid. There's more on our side than on theirs. Now, in this moment, I don't know if the servant is like, yes, or if he's like, oh, no, he's seeing things. He's hallucinating. Now we're really in trouble. I don't know if he was more terrified or somehow encouraged, but I'm, I'm thinking if this is me, I'm not only afraid now, but I'm utterly confused of what are you talking about? What are you talking about that there's more on our side than their side? Because all I see is we're surrounded by a great army of horses and chariots. I love that Elisha prays for his servant. And it's a very simple prayer. And I don't know how long Elisha delayed, kind of left him sitting with that, left him hanging with that. I'm guessing it was relatively quick But this was Elisha's prayer for his servant. Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Open his eyes and let him see. And so the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. God, take the eyes, take the blindfold off his eyes so he can see. I'm going to spend a moment just praying. Because as I mentioned at the beginning of this message, it was really hard putting thoughts together on God's power, on God's bigness, in light of how small I live. And what I've been praying a lot for myself and just praying for us as a church is that we just take the blindfold off and that we would see how big God is. That we would experience and encounter the strength and the incomparable greatness that God wants to give to me and to you, to those who believe.